Chapter 16 of The Crow's Sinister Local History, in which Carrie has a night out and Wes tells a dark tale. Content warnings for this one, um, it's mainly set in a pub, so there's alcohol, drunkenness, um, there's references to um, alcoholism, uh, parental alcoholism and parental death, historic. Uh, so just be aware of those. Chapter 16, Sinister Local History in which Carrie has a night out and Wes tells a dark tale. 11th of May, evening. On Friday night, dreading social engagements but craving normalcy and some sort of release, Carrie met up with Mercy for a drink at a pub in the dodgier end of town, the Snake and Feather. The snake was too close to Hangman's Walk for comfort, even though she had only the vaguest sense of what went on in that crooked Tudor street overlooking the sea, but Mercy assured her it was all right. They were meant to be meeting Tina. By the time Carrie got there, the pub was already crowded. A pack of hirsute people gathered around the tables, dragging free chairs over to make up the numbers for their party, and a buzzing crowd was already pressing around the bar. The boards were sticky under her feet, and no one could stand still for very long without being jostled or having to duck out of the way. There were pints being carried back and forth, and glasses of what Carrie hoped was dark red wine, but there were also drinks that splashed onto the floor and fizzed into instant steam, adding a raw, acidic tang to the atmosphere. Mercy kept her hand on Carrie's bag, pulling her deeper into the pub where Tina had elbowed her way to a table in the snug, a much quieter area, with one older regular ensconced in the corner with a copy of the Pagamon Sea Gazette and chewing on the stem of his unlit pipe. Tina's eyeliner had smudged, her eyes pink and glistening. She sat up straighter as they approached the table, putting away her grief with visible effort. Carrie wanted to ask what was wrong, but bit the question back, unsure if Tina would welcome the intrusion of a stranger. Tina shot Carrie a genuine smile, which settled it. Carrie controlled her urge to ask. Hey, good to see you're up and about properly. How are things? That was a big question. Leaving out the part where Ricky Porter had moved into her house and cuddled her at night like a stuffed animal, Carrie updated her on the ghost's activities, especially what it had written on her mirror. Tina and Mercy leaned in, Tina's expressive round face a grimace of mild horror. It caused the only other occupant of the snug to fold up his newspaper abruptly and stump back out into the main bar, leaving them alone in the small back room. Carrie waited until after he had gone before pulling out the photograph salvaged from Janet Varney's unsuccessful fire. "'Does anyone in this look familiar to either of you?' she asked, opening her diary to the pages protecting the picture. To her surprise, Mercy frowned. "'That's... yeah. Wait, that's... I'm sure that's my gran. My dad's mum. 
The strict religious one, Tina put in. What was her name? Veracity? Verity. Verity Hillsworth. Mercy squinted at it more closely. I've never seen this before. What? What is this? Is it a play or something? That hadn't occurred to Carrie. I don't think so, she murmured. I mean, I guess it could be a scene or something. What's the colonel doing here? The smudge on Mrs Hillsworth's arm was licked by flame, not easy to make out. Should I see what we've got at home? Mercy leaned back after a moment's fruitless study. I can dig around Ad's attic, see what there is of hers. Maybe there's some photo albums or something. Watch yourself, Tina warned. Don't blurt out why to anyone, will you? If Carrie's being targeted because of something to do with this, something that happened with the History Society, it's probably best not to mention you're digging around yourself. I don't blurt, Mercy said, offended. Anyway, I can't die, Tina snorted. Carrie couldn't help but laugh. At least we know it's a man, she said. The ghost said kill him, so it must know there's a man behind it somewhere. So, not Beverly? Or, I mean, maybe it was one of her sisters behind the actual killing and the sisters are both dead. Or does it mean this mystery man has its tongue? Mercy frowned. So who could that be? Guy wasn't even born then. No, but maybe his dad? Carrie had been thinking about this all week. Maybe this is about their parents, you know. Most of them in the society would have been kids who were in their teens 60 years ago. She drummed her fingers on the table, trying to keep her her voice even, trying to breathe through the sudden tightening in her chest. I mean, they might be dead by now, or not members anymore. My gran was the secretary of the society back then, Mercy said unexpectedly. I mean, she's dead now, of course, but I guess a lot of them are. It must be someone Mrs Wend is friendly with, in any case. Tina nursed her drink, her eyes on Carrie's face. Are you okay, Carrie? No. Carrie stopped pretending. No, I'm not bloody okay. Someone's trying to kill me. There's a man-eating soothsayer next door and my house is alive. Did I leave anything out? Dr Monday and his masks of skin are normal. Dr Monday has always been my doctor. Dr Monday has known me for years. Mercy frowned down at the table, purple curls swinging forwards. You need to spend as little time as you can around Ricky Porter, she advised. That family gets under your skin like, like tar. She looked at Tina for corroboration, and Carrie remembered Tina's friendship with Wesley Porter. Mercy pursed her lips when Tina didn't back her up. Tina shook her head, suddenly sullen, and pulled out an envelope from her bag. Look, I shouldn't be giving you this, but Jazz, well, he let me dig around in the basement where the old records are. Parsons will go spare if she finds out. I took photos on my phone, printed them off at home. Oh, wow. Carrie pounced on them. What did you... She pulled out the first photograph and wished she hadn't. Oh, God. Yeah, it's grim, but it's the marks on the arms. Look, you can see those really clearly. Carrie swallowed and made herself look. The grainy photo is black and white, but the markings on the girl's pale, bloodless arms stood out in livid contrast to her skin. They looked like numerals, but in a script she didn't recognise. What the hell is this? These photos were never released, Tina said, watching her. I don't think anyone understood what they were looking at, and the police force weren't particularly diverse, let's say, back then. For Carrie's benefit, she added, human only. Mercy had grown pale. No, she whispered. Carrie frowned. Mez? What's wrong? Mercy sat back, shaking her head. 
I know what these are, she whispered. It's a... it's a story. It's just a story. Oh, she clapped a hand to her mouth, eyes wide and watering. Shit! The chimney! Shit! What? Tina leaned over and grabbed her wrist. What is it, Mez? Mercy lowered her hand, quivering. It's a fairy story to scare us, she whispered. Be good or the devil will steal away your number. Was Cathy a resurrectionist? Tina asked, not understanding. Mercy shook her head. No. You have to... In the story, innocence is the secret ingredient to a... A spell, I guess? Innocence is a character in the story and she's hung in the dark and drained dry and there's marks all over her. Numbers, you know, special numbers like equations. She swallowed, not looking at the photograph. Those are... It reminds me of that, that's all. And it fits, but it's not possible. It's not. It's a story. A stupid story. But you're right, Carrie said slowly, collecting up the photographs. That makes sense. The chimney's dark and convenient, and right under the chimney is the pendle stone, full of energies, arcane, eldritch, I don't know, something that you can use to access the outside, whatever that is. Do you think it worked? Tina asked. No, of course not. Mercy stood up abruptly, jolting the table. Hanging a child in a chimney isn't going to do anything. You can't steal people's numbers. That's ridiculous. Tragic and ridiculous, but it wouldn't work. It's just a story. She shook her head. I don't believe in it. Mez, Tina started, but Mercy was adamant. Her pert nostrils flared. OK, I'm buying this round. What's everyone having? Mez. Tina tried again, but was defeated by Mercy's stiff determination. Rum and coke, double. Housewife's fine. Carrie exchanged glances with Tina and slipped the photos away again into the envelope. Thanks. Mercy slid out of her seat, lacy skirt catching on the frayed green upholstery. She unstuck herself, shook her head and bounced out to the bar, putting Carrie in mind of a rainbow-hued fairy. I guess we're not talking about that anymore, Carrie said, passing the envelope back. I guess not. Give us some time. Tina sipped her drink, gave, gave Carrie a friendly smile as if weighing her up, and promptly harpooned her. So has your ex been back? Pinned to her seat, Carrie flinched. No, she said. I hope he never does. Tina finished her half-full drink in two gulps and set it down firmly on a coaster. Her phone buzzed. She checked it and grinned. Wes, he's been getting really flirty since Bert broke up with me. Her lips dropped. Bert picked up the rest of his stuff today. Sorry, I'm not, not feeling great about it. They shared an awkward, commiserating silence. Mercy returned, clutching three glasses, trying not to spill any of them as she negotiated the curtain. Carrie jumped up to help her, taking her glass of wine. Mercy leaned over to plonk a glass in front of Tina. Double rum and coke. Sal started making it before I even ordered. She assumed it was for you. She gave her a pointed stare. Tina gave her the middle finger and sipped her drink. Don't you start. Jazz is bad enough, thanks. He's like a mother hen. Good. Just saying. Mercy looked from Tina to Carrie and tucked her leg underneath her as she sat. Tina scooped up her phone and buried it back in her bag. Right. Let's induct Carrie into the underground and see if we can show her a good time before someone else tries to kill her. Seconded, Carrie said with feeling. 
It wasn't long before the curtain of the snug was twitched aside and in sauntered a man as lean as Ricky Porter, if a foot taller, beer bottle in his hand, conspicuous in a plain black plastic mask covering the top half of his face, dressed sharply in a royal purple silk shirt and black skinny jeans. Tina hailed him with a grin. Wes, you made it. Sorry, T, Wesley Porter went in for a warm hug. Would have been here earlier, but I was running a quick errand when you texted. Family thing. Tina raised an eyebrow as they broke apart. Wes raised his hands. Not selling, honest. Gone clean on my auntie's grave. Yeah, you passed your gear on to one of your cousins to sell for you, Tina remarked, unconvinced and unimpressed. None harmful, recreational only. Give us a break, love. Carrie got the impression Wes was a much better liar than his cousin. It was the strangest thing, but after Wes stopped speaking, she could she could remember what he'd said, but not what his voice sounded like. So how's things? Tina shifted along to make room for him, and Wes dragged a chair closer to hers than necessary. Yeah, all right, thanks, apart from our soothsayer being an awkward sod for some reason. Insisted on coming to me instead of me going there. He's never done that before. Bloody weird. Only did me a bone reading, that's all, nothing special. Gave him something he can sell to the party crowd. He turned to the table, running his tongue over his lips as he spotted Carrie, now frozen and staring. The implication left her aghast. Unbelievable. No sex, no drugs, no rock and roll, my arse. What an absolute... Hello, you must be Caroline. Carrie shook his hand. Carrie, his palm was hot and dry. Is it Wesley? Wes, please. He finished his beer and set the bottle down. Don't mind my cousin, if he's been sniffing around. He doesn't get out much. Oh, speaking of getting out, sorry Charlie couldn't make it. She's got a date. He made himself comfortable. Shame, Tina said. T fancies my missus, Wes said, dropping a hand under the table to rest on Tina's thigh, but I don't take it personally. Carrie noted Tina didn't brush him off. Right, let's get this over with. Wes took off his mask and Carrie held her breath. The surprise of his average appearance was a terrible anticlimax. She dropped her eyes to her glass and immediately forgot what he looked like. Wait. She raised her eyes again and fixed his face in her mind. When she looked away, she couldn't remember his eye colour, hair colour, face shape, the size of his nose. Am I that drunk? Not that drunk, no, but her frontal lobe was bathed in blissful numbness and her thoughts felt more her own. She caught Tina's eye and saw she was smirking. No, I bet this is a thing, she thought. All right, I'll play. Go on, Wes encouraged her. What's my hair like? Took me hours, this did. Carrie closed her eyes and guessed. She opened her eyes. She was wrong. Mercy clapped. God, it's weird, isn't it? I'm getting another beer. She slid clumsily by, knocking the table again. She's being subtle, Wes said as she left. She doesn't like me. Anyway, Carrie, let's get to it. I figured I was coming over to be grilled. Tina shook her head. I think Carrie's earned a few answers, Wes. Why is your gran trying to kill me? Carrie blurted out, fed up. And what's the deal with your face? Wes burst out laughing. He shook his head, long fingers toying with his mask. Gran's not trying to kill you. Not that I know of. From what I can tell, Jan just wanted to scare you and it got a bit out of hand. Gran was a bit pissed off because she, well, she's pretty close to Jan. I mean, she might have reacted. I was nearly cursed to death, Carrie scowled, noting how close he was to Tina. Dr. Monday had to sarcophagus wrap me. I'm not sure what that means, Wes said slowly, nondescript voice easily carrying over the music. 
But T said all of this, it's got something to do with a ghost. Gran's got protection against stuff like that. If anything, she's just doing a friend of hers a favour, though I've no idea who that is. Carrie grated her teeth. I want some answers. What do you want, a potted history? Wes exchanged glances with Tina, amused. Course she is new here. Yeah, okay, right. Once upon a time. Fuck's sake, Tina muttered with a smirk, rolling her eyes, but Wes ignored her. Once upon a time, there were three sisters living at Bramble Cottage with their mother and father. Pretty things they were, of course, and one day the eldest gets something in her head she can't quite winkle out. She strays into a place she shouldn't be, lured by all the stories and strange lights there, and something flies in like a gnat through her lovely brown eye gets stuck in her brain. She starts thinking of things that aren't there. He gave her a sharp grin that reminded her of Ricky, but when she blinked, only Ricky's grin remained in her mind and Wes's slipped away. The middle sister likes history. Fascinated by the long barrows up on Barrowfield she is, and one day she finds something she shouldn't, a strange thing with odd carvings on it. The eldest lays it on the hearthstone and sings to it, songs she don't know. It feels right somehow. And then in the woods, the three sisters meet a man with three heads, which is probably the polite way of saying he was triply well endowed, but this is only partially that kind of story. Carrie wondered where this rambling tale was going, and fairly sure she wasn't going to like it. Wes nodded, foot tapping under the table. So, the youngest sister feels left out, and she's the one who wants to go along with this man, but at this point the eldest isn't certain. He isn't really a man, you see, he's not human at all, but the youngest wants to go. There's a place in the woods, ripped up now for the new arable field, can't raise nothing there but sheep, where they met him. He wasn't there, you understand, probably never was there at all. He's a green shadow in their imaginations. He's the shifting darkness through the branches, the whisperings from the soil. He's not a real man. But they dance for him like he wants to, around the fire they make there. And what do you know, but they find themselves stripping down to their young milky flesh and writhing under the smoke. Wes flicked out an obscene tongue. Carrie found herself rubbing the piece of the crows in her pocket. This is why we don't have pendles in the house. Can't imagine Ricky doing that, thank God. Mercifully, she blinked and erased the memory of the tongue from her mind. They got themselves pregnant, of course, Wes continued. Can't recall how. Even now, Gran will say she can't remember. But they weren't the same after, and they took on married names to be respectable. The youngest wanted to be first among the sisters, so she chose Mrs Foreman, you see. And the middle sister just wanted certainty and understanding, so she chose Mrs Shaw, sort of a pun. And the eldest, she was the one wending her merry way through the woods when the thought first came to her, and that's what she chose, something like a journey, something charming, something dignified, mysterious, a little romantic. He paused, considering. Nothing romantic about the spawning when it happened. And romantics tend not to last long in this world, but grand, fair play to her, has lasted pretty well. Carrie let this wash over her, tingling with curiosity. So, that's why you're all... different. What are the changes? Wes waved a hand in front of his face. Now you see us, now you don't, he grinned, and Carrie tried to cement the image in her mind with the shape of his lips pared back against his teeth, the lift of his cheeks, the crinkling around his eyes. But then she blinked and wiped the picture clean. It's potluck. They start when we're about 18, but the signs are there before. Gran's the only sister left now, the only shrine we can go to, no matter which branch of the family we're from. 
We do our libations, tug our forelocks, have a chat to old gaffer in the side to side and down below, wherever he is. And if we're very good and please him mightily, we'll get something a bit extra special. Of course, when we were teens, that wasn't cool. We all pretended not to take it seriously, happy to take what came, stick it to the man, you know. He snorted. Cousin Ricky was never one for peer pressure. He seemed to really care what he got, so we teased him about that. Carrie frowned. She started to, to dislike Wesley Porter's attitude. Wes didn't seem to notice. Sometimes Gran lets others down there for scraps just for fun. There's a few in this town with powers they shouldn't have if it don't drive them to drink or turn them mad first. She likes to stir the pot a bit, add a bit of chaos. Carrie looked to Tina, whose expression had soured. She was lost in thought, staring at the table. Carrie decided not to delve too deeply into this at the moment. Right, so she's happy to help other people out, and sometimes that involves, what, doing rituals for them? Youth stuff, rejuvenation stuff, that kind of thing? Carrie tried to remember what Ricky had said. The girl up the chimney, I want her to find peace and stop tugging a duvet off me at three in the morning. Wes shrugged. Carrie, look, piece of advice sincerely meant, okay? The fifties are ancient history. Leave it all alone. Learn to survive in the now instead. Don't let the soothsayer drag you out of the present. He's a little shit for that. Too much staring into the weird and telling everyone their future is already built on the backs of the dead. Useful, don't get me wrong, but take what you need and walk away. Don't let him in. He tapped his forehead. Carrie tightened her jaw, ready to come to Ricky's defence, but she didn't. He'd rather she kept his secrets than stirred things up by snapping at his cousin. She swallowed her annoyance. That doesn't solve my haunting, and someone has tried to kill me twice already. Do I just forget about that? Sure. Forget, forgive, move on. If anyone tries again, learn to be ready. Sod the ghost, call in an exorcist, banish her back to whatever crack she crawled out of. Where's? Tina nudged him, frowning. That's a person you're talking about. Or was? Yeah, the one that cost us the Pendlestone, Wes muttered. Good thing I like you, T. Your meddling great-aunt's still a sore spot for some of us. Carrie played dumb. Why does that matter if your gran has a shrine anyway? Not all of us like asking gran for every little thing. Wes scratched at a beer mat. She uses it against us, too. Holds it over us. Can't have a family row without her threatening to take our access away if we don't accept her adjudication. Then she goes and lets anybody down there, taking up Grandad's favours, people who ain't even our own blood. He grimaced, but even that left no lasting impression on her. Right, that's enough. That's my opinion and a bit context for you. Take it or leave it. I'm out for a good time. Don't know about anyone else? Sure. Carrie raised her glass to meet his. When Carrie went up to the bar to buy a round, sober enough to know she had no money but tipsy enough not to care, she spotted Guy Bishop across the bar. Carrie caught her breath. She hadn't seen him since he delivered the flowers and rambled about destiny. He'd nearly killed her. She pressed into a knot of people between him and her but with limited success. Guy noticed her as she got served, meeting her glance at the start and a haunted stare. Carrie couldn't wave or smile. She stared back. 
The barmaid was asking her if she wanted anything else. She shook her head and paid with her card, hoping it wouldn't be declined. When it didn't, relief overrode her awkwardness. Do you know where the toilets are? They're that way, the barmaid pointed. Carrie handed over the drinks to Wes, who had appeared behind her in his mask, wound her way through rowdy groups of carousing punters and ducked into a smaller room with another bar, far quieter than the main pub. A wooden sign pointed the way to the toilets. She got halfway across the room when Guy called her name. Carrie? Fuck. Get rid of him. No more bishops. Carrie pressed her hand to her forehead, her thoughts jumbled. In such quick succession they felt wrong, as if some weren't hers at all. The alcohol lapped at her consciousness, drowning out the others and letting her own bob to the surface. She turned around. Hi, Guy. You, my God, Carrie. That, the shock on his face, told her all she needed to know. You've got some explaining to do, Carrie said. He came forwards, eyes glazed. I didn't know, I swear. I just... Beverly gave me the flowers. I didn't know you'd get ill. The whites of his eyes were pink and glazed and he looked like he'd been drinking for a while. He slid into a seat and Carrie decided, much to her bladder's annoyance, that her trip to the ladies was less urgent than finding out what he knew. She joined him at the table and crossed her legs. I don't blame you. I'm not angry with you. She managed to smile. Are you all right? Guy moved his hand. I'm, uh, not so good. But Millennium Night came in at Ascot five to two. Wish it had been ten to one. Phil used to talk odds. Carrie's bladder gave her a sharp nudge. I'm going to the loo, she said abruptly. Wait, please, don't go anywhere. He nodded, looking down. She was as quick as she could be, but she paused at the vanity mirror over the sink and steadied herself. He's not Phil. He's not. For every problem, there's an acidic solution. We can do this. For a moment, her reflection shimmered and there were three faces in the mirror, two overlaid on hers. She blinked hard, rubbing her face. We can do this. I can do this. I can do this. She inhaled, exhaled, counted to five. I'm too sober for this. That thought sounded like something Tina might say and it made Carrie grin. Her head was crowded enough as it was without picking up phrases from the medium as well. She made it back to the smaller, quieter bar where Guy was nursing another neat double. You want to talk to me? she asked, sitting down. It looks like you could use someone to talk to. For a moment she thought he was going to refuse, but then he nodded, staring into his drink. You're all right? I'm glad you're all right, obviously. It's... I'm going to lose the shop. He shook his head. I got... Beverly tried to help. She said she'd help. She said, if I did a few things for her, I could go into the cellar. His lips twisted. I could go down there and it wasn't... It didn't hurt. The first time was easy, just some chanting. I was blindfolded. She used a prism and told me not to look. He chuckled. And that was it. I got lucky. I knew, just knew. I could look at odds and I know who's going to win. Solved everything. But I bet it wore off after a while. Carrie kept her tone as soft as she could, leaning in. And you had to go back? Guy's jaw fluttered. It was my fault. I got greedy, I suppose. I thought the business was Dad's life, but we kept making losses. What happened the second time? 
Kerry asked. I had to look, Guy whispered. I did what she said. I didn't, I didn't think it was harmful. Beverly wanted me to get hold of some books for her through my contacts, specific books. So I did. And then I went down to the cellar to Mr. Wen's shrine and this time I had to look. Oh, the outside. Yeah, that'll mess you up. Carrie let the thoughts slide in and out of her head. It sounded like Ricky, but he wasn't in her head, not properly. It wasn't like he was reading her mind, more like her thoughts had morphed into his. They were intertwined in ways she wasn't sure she liked. Why was she only just noticing? It felt comfortable, as if she'd been thinking his thoughts for a while, but she couldn't put her finger on when that started. The outside, she said aloud, trusting the thought but not knowing what that meant. Guy shuddered and downed half his drink in two swallows. He set the glass back down. It's a dimension, he hissed down at the table, not looking at her. It's outside our reality, right next door. I saw... I don't know what I saw. Not clearly. He grabbed her hand, making her jump. The third time that was worse. I didn't think it get worse, but it was. It looked at me, like it knew me, like it knew my name. He glanced around at the comforting beams, the old world ambience. I couldn't, I couldn't go through with it. I'd done everything she asked and she said it would get better, but I couldn't. Carrie started to understand. That third time, sorry, let's go back a bit. You delivered the flowers to me so she'd let you go down the cellar again a third time and you hoped that would save your dad's shop. Guy nodded again. But you couldn't finish the ritual. But you still won some money? Yeah, still won. She got Richard Porter, Ricky, you know him, to write down racing tips for me. I don't... I don't honestly remember much about that, about why I couldn't, you know. She had a nice medicinal bottle waiting, looked after me. She's good like that. I don't think she should have let him drink, Carrie thought. Dad doesn't like me drinking. Guy gave her a wobbly smile as if he'd read her mind. Doesn't like to be reminded of Mum. Carrie tried to smile but failed. I'm sorry. He shook his head with a warmer smile, drunk but steadier. I look like her, he said with a strange, wistful pride. She was really pretty, my mum. She died when I was a kid. Car crash. Carrie pursed her lips, running her finger along her necklace chain until it hit the pendant, feeling closer to her own parents. She would text them as soon as this conversation was over. God, that's rough, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Long time ago now. He didn't look at her. Look, um, no hard feelings, yeah? Carrie studied him, any anger she'd felt at his part in her ordeal drowned by pity. And let me know if there's anything I can do. I don't know what I can do, but I guess if you want support, maybe... Stop it. Guy's head jerked up again. Stop looking. Stop poking around. Stop. Just stop. He stood with clumsy force, jolting the table like mercy, and stumbled back into the main bar. Carrie scraped her chair back. What was that about? She asked out loud, then realised she wasn't in the crows tonight and she was talking to herself. No one seemed to notice. She took her glass back through to the main pub and into the snug to rejoin the others, shaken. The talk of outside chilled her. There was something wrong with him, something eating at his soul. She wanted to leave it alone, but she wasn't sure the ghost would let her. 
She hoped Ricky Porter knew what he was doing. So one of the difficult things about reading this chapter or actually reading any of the, the next bits out is that um, it's difficult to show the thoughts um, and what's going on with the thought patterns and what's going on with the, you know, the things in Carrie's head hourly. Um, so on the page, what I've done is um, Carrie's thoughts are left aligned and in italics. Um, the crows, when the crow speaks or is using sort of telepathic kind of uh, communication, um, that's right aligned and in italics and starts off with three dots. So starts with an ellipsis. Um, and then Ricky Porter, his thoughts on the page are not italicised and they're in brackets. Um, so round brackets, not square brackets. So they look very different, the three thoughts on the page. So you can always tell who's thinking what um, by the way they're aligned on the page um, and whether they're italicised or in brackets or whatever. So when Ricky intertwines himself with Fairwood and Carrie gets that weird moment in the cafe um, where something sort of pops in her head bloody hell love what just happened like that's that thought is ricky's thought and it's in her head and it's not as italicized and it's in brackets so on the page it's obvious that that's ricky's thought in her head right or at least it's a thought in her head that looks like ricky's so when she is uh, sort of experiencing ricky's thoughts at the same time as hers she starts to think like he does and that actually starts after she's in the coma so as soon as she wakes up from the coma because she's been kind of exposed to him for that long because he's been sleeping next to her without her knowledge or consent um she wakes up and finds that her well you find that her thoughts are now in brackets but they're still italicized at that point so it's kind of like a visual cue that something about him is rubbing off on her because he's literally changing the way that she thinks. When he intertwines himself properly, her thoughts stop being italicised, I think, and then Fairwood stop being italicised and they think like each other. So visually on the page, you can see that merging taking place. Um, and so in the pub, 
um, where she has three weird thoughts, like intrusive thoughts, I guess. One's hers, one's his, and one is Fairwood's. And they're set out on the page so that you can kind of tell. So, yeah, it's quite difficult to represent that vocally. In the pub as well, it's the first time that Carrie's thoughts kind of reassert themselves properly. Fairwood's reasserts themselves. Uh, so Fairwood's thoughts kind of reassert themselves without the brackets um, in the little section before where Ricky says, oh, you're sounding more like yourself again. Um because Fairwood is actually much stronger. Um, and while this is all going on, um, when Carrie has her little inner voice moments or things that she recognises as her inner voice, um, and it's usually the voice that says, this is all mad, like this is wrong. There's something wrong here. Why aren't you, you know, you should be worried about this. You should know this isn't right. Why are you acting like it's normal? And then it disappears. And um, that is, those um to kind of show that that is a very small weak part of her that's kind of caught between ricky and fairwood i've center aligned that in the text so you can kind of see how she has become like the center the thing that holds them together and this kind of all becomes apparent as we go through to the end um so this is now about her kind of regaining her own voice and regaining her own agency i guess because I think, as you probably figured out, um, her relationship with Ricky is uh, not romantic, not sexual and not healthy. Um, because you can have very unhealthy platonic relationships uh, <laughs> as well. Um, I mean, at least Ricky's not interested in that kind of thing. Ricky doesn't really know. Ricky doesn't have boundaries. Uh, well, he does have boundaries when it comes to himself, I guess, but nobody in his family seems to care about those. Um, so he doesn't really, you know, note other people's or doesn't really notice where other people's are. Yeah. So that was a kind of hopefully uncomfortable for you because that's the point of it. It was very uncomfortable, that kind of inversion of the one bed scene um, to, to read. It, it, I don't remember it being that uncomfortable to write or to edit interestingly and I kind of wondered that maybe I hadn't made it uh, uncomfortable enough or disturbing enough but having read it back I think I actually did I don't want to go any further with that but yeah so so hopefully that's kind of come across that um it could be it could be some like if Ricky was like a totally different person it could be a healthy relationship um but Ricky is really really fucked up uh so anyway so that's you know um, so I've kind of done that. And um, also Ricky's thoughts change and become italicised. And when Ricky is thinking like Fairwood, Ricky's thoughts have three dots in front of them, although they're still in brackets. So you can kind of see that he genu when he's saying like, well, it's not just you, you're not the only victim here. Um, she's in my head, too. Or you're both in my head. Like that's that's where on the page it's more obvious than me reading it out to you. So yeah, so that pub scene um, is where Carrie's thoughts reassert themselves. And I kind of wanted to add this little addendum to this episode because I, I just didn't know how to get that across vocally. So hopefully that's inspired you to um, buy the book if you haven't already, just to see how I've done it. Um, which you can do from my coffee shop if you'd like. 
um, or, <laughs> or buy the paperback from Amazon, or indeed buy the ebook from Amazon. I don't mind. Uh, anywhere you'd like to buy it, you can. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode for a given value of enjoyed. <laughs> um, and see you next week for some bonus content, uh, hopefully. And uh, the next chapter, chapter 17, I think we're on now. Have a good week and thank you for listening.